Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you. Um, I'm excited. Every single time I speak anywhere, it's like the highlight of my week. And the invitation to come and speak is something that I never take for granted. So thank you, Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Olivia, and Pastor Scott, wherever you are in the world. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. As you all know, we are in the middle of a series on the book of John, the entire book of John, that is, because Journey Church commits, <laughs> right? You've been in the book of John for quite a while. And if you remember the sequence when the series first started, the title was Come and See. And then as you progressed in the chapters, the, how far away can I go? Because I love to move. I forget. I'm good. Just not here. Got it. And as you progressed in the chapters, <laughs> The title changed to Come and Believe. And then you kept moving forward, and then when you got to chapter 13, the section from 13 to 17, which is the section we're in right now, the title changed again to Come and Follow. And whoever came up with that is a genius because what, they're, what I think they're trying to do is summarize in a very succinct way what Jesus is inviting us to do every step of the way. And that is so on point because with God, there is always an invitation, always an invitation. So we're going to look at what that invitation looks like in today's passage. So as I read the passage, keep that in mind. Keep that question in mind. What's the invitation? We're going to be reading uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. It's going to be on the screen. And this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that he may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who abides in me. And I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. There's another section left, but we're going to stop there. Because there are enough things being said that make us raise an eyebrow here. And instead of going straight into exegesis mode and Greek words and all that fun stuff that we will get to, first I want us to do an imaginative exercise. And in this exercise, I'm going to ask you to imagine that you receive an envelope in the, in the mail. And just, just try to picture it. Try to picture a, a big envelope with, with beautiful glossy paper and has your name written on it with, with handwriting lettering. And it looks very elegant. It's big. And for the purpose of this exercise, just imagine that this envelope is an invitation from me, Gabby Vallesca. It sounds kind of cool. So it is an invitation from me. And I'll be throwing a, a massive party, a banquet and you are invited. There's a special place at this party just for you, and I have personally invited you to come. You've heard about these parties. 
These parties are fun, and you are over the moon that you're going to be there. If being at my party does not excite you, just change it to whoever's party. You would be really, really excited to be at. Then you open the invitation. Again, it's addressed just to you. And it says, you have been invited to a one-of-a-kind event, the annual gala. It will be my pleasure to have you join us. We have prepared food and drinks and entertainment just for you. However, if you show up so much as a minute late, if you don't dress up on par with the event, or if you don't measure up to our expectations of how you should behave during the event, you will be removed from the premises, cut off from our list, and you will never be invited again, ever. Love, Gavi. <laughs> how would you feel if you received that type of invitation? Would that feel like a genuine loving invitation? Or would that read more like a threat? Threat. <laughs> how would you feel about me as a host? Would I sound like a truly loving, welcoming host? Probably not. And that is just a silly exercise, obviously. Is it okay? Is this okay? You can hear me okay, right? Okay. It's just a silly exercise, but it serves a point. Because in a way, this is how many people interpret this passage that we just read. This is how many people talk about the love of God. It's a conditional relationship where we need to measure up to certain expectations to be truly accepted. A relationship based on fear, and threats instead of love. And for me, any theology that presents the gospel in a way that makes us feel fearful or threatened or unsure of whether God loves us or not must be revised. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to revise that theology and we're going to look at the passage once again because this passage is one of the most beautiful passages in the Gospel of John. And somehow we've managed to turn it into a sour, legalistic, moralistic treatise that we must follow or else we're doomed. And it really comes down to two verses that are the most troubling. And we're going to start with the most troubling ones. We're going to start with the most hard, not most hard, hardest part of the passage and just open that can of worms. Because I do think that that is the best way we can access this passage and, and unravel what Jesus is trying to say to us. And the first verse is verse number two. Remember, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, all of you sitting there and me, and my father is the vine dresser. Verse two says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. Who is he? The father the vine dresser. Second troubling verse is verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Yikes. If you want to picture the structure of my message in a very simple way, picture it this way. We're going to start small. Like We're going to zoom in, start with the very granular, and then we're slowly going to zoom out and zoom out and zoom out until we can see the whole picture. 
That's the structure of the passage, okay? So we're going to start with the small granular thing, which is one word, that word caught off. They are about, yeah. For those of you, Joel, you're here, Professor Joel from George Fox. I'm sure you can read this. The word, and many of you too, the word in Greek there is aire, and the root is aero or aero. There are about seven different translations, Bible translations, that use cut off as, a, as a, the translation, the interpretation for this passage. And the word aire or aero, the root, it has so many meanings, it's crazy. They're all very similar. And I want you to see them, to raise, to elevate, to lift up, to raise from the ground, to take upon oneself, to move from its place or to remove. And let me give you some examples of how it's been translated in other passages in the Bible. For example, in Luke 17, when Jesus walks by the man that had leprosy and they reach out to him, when they yell at him, they lift up their voices, that's the verb lift up their voices. When Jesus goes to visit the, the tomb of Lazarus, and before he prays, he says that he lifts up his eyes, he raised up his eyes to the sky. That's the same verb, the same root, Iro. In the book of Revelation, John sees an angel that raises his hand, lifts up his hand, that's the same word. And when Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up their cross, and that's the same root. So lifting up, taking up, raising, those are, one of, those are the most common ways this word is translated. Now, in the context of our passage, we're talking about vines and grapes. And all of us right here, right now, are in the heart of the Willamette Valley. And I want to think that there's at least one vine expert in the room, and it is not me. But I listen to a lot of experts in vines recently for this message, obviously. And one of them said, and I quote, any person used to working with vines will know that there are times when you need to physically remove the vines from the ground, lift them up from the ground, to prevent mold and fungus so that it can bear more fruit, end quote. Now, could it be could it be that Jesus meant exactly that? There are several versions, other versions, that use the word take away. That makes sense, instead of cut off. Could it be that Jesus meant, that what Jesus meant was that anyone who struggled to bear fruit, he would help? We don't need to reach a conclusion just yet. I'm just asking a question. Let's look at the next troubling passage. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. For this one, we are not gonna look at the Greek words because those are as straightforward as they can be. Fire is fire, burn is burn, throwing is throwing. There's just no secret there. Instead, we're gonna look at our imagination around these words, and I'm gonna ask you a question. When we read the Bible, or when we hear a message that talks about being thrown into the fire, where do our minds go? 
You can, don't be shy. Where do our minds go? I don't know what you said, but you probably think hell. That's usually where our minds go. The moment we talk about people being thrown into the fire. And that's okay. Most people think that. But what I want to say to you, something interesting about this passage is that Sheol, any of all the different Greek words that are translated as hell, there's quite a few of them, none of those words are in the passage. The word hell is not in the passage. None of them. The only word that we have is fire. And let us not forget that one of the most common images for God in the Bible is that of a consuming fire. Remember? Remember Moses and the burning bush. The presence of the Lord manifested as fire. Remember Pentecost, and I hope you do, because today is Pentecost Day. The Spirit was given to everyone, and he came down in tongues that looked like fire. Remember the 40 years in the desert, the Lord guided his people for 40 years, and during the day, he was a cloud, and during the night, it was a pillar of fire. Fire. There are hundreds, and I'm being quite literal here, hundreds of verses where fire represents either the presence of God, the power of God, the spirit of God that is given to us or offered to us to guide us, to, to empower us, to purify us, to cleanse us. And a few, exam few more examples, when the Lord spoke to Jeremiah, he said to him, it's not my word like a fire. When John the Baptist started his ministry, said, after me comes one that's more powerful than I am, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Isn't it interesting how in so many passages, the promise of fire is a really good thing? Because the Father's fire is a refining fire. One last example I want to show you. In the book of Zechariah, the Lord said about a group of his people, I will put them into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. In so many instances, so many, to experience fire is to experience God. So many times. Could it be, could it be that this is the type of fire Jesus was talking about in today's passage? I think it's quite possible, but still, we don't need to reach a conclusion. We're going to keep zooming out to keep seeing more of the, of the bigger picture. As we noted earlier, the passage starts with Jesus saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And this is actually an incredibly important statement. It's very, very important. He wasn't just trying to give you the different roles so that you would understand the parable which we don't know if it's a parable or a metaphor or a mixture of both. This statement, I am the vine, the true vine, it is the last of his seven I am statements that we find throughout the whole Gospel of John. And these are really big statements. These are declarations about himself. I am 
the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. These are highly Christological statements that are meant to show us who he is. They're meant to draw our attention from anything else to him, to who he is, to what we have in him, to what he has to offer to us. Sustenance, light, access to the Father, resurrection, life, everything really. That's the purpose of those statements. This passage has so much more to do with who Jesus is and what he does for us than what we should do for him to see if we can be accepted. It's a very powerful statement. Now, let us zoom out even more before I trip to keep looking at the bigger picture. Let's remember that this passage is part of a longer section, it's part of a longer message, a longer discourse that Jesus gave to his disciples during the Last Supper or right after. There's debate there. It's definitely right before the crucifixion. It's, it's the same section. This is chapter 15 for us, but as we all know, there were no chapters back then. Jesus never said, all right, next chapter. Like that did not happen. It, it just didn't. He just began talking to them after he washed their feet and called him friend. After he broke the bread and said, I'm giving myself to you. After he broke the bread, and said, I'm giving, oh, sorry, myself to you. After he said to them, in my father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm going to go prepare one for you. These are all the promises that he had for them. He had just given to them. He had just said to them, do not be troubled. And Pastor Olivia preached on this two weeks ago. I love that sermon, by the way. He had just promised them the paraclete who would assist them, guide them, counsel them so they wouldn't have to do anything alone. Pastor Scott preached on this last Sunday. We're still in the same night. Still same thing. Jesus had spent most likely hours giving them the most tender words of love and assurance. And how could he have built this up? All those beautiful things he had just said. How could he have done that just to get to a point where he says, bear fruit or be burned? There's no way. There's, it just makes no sense whatsoever. It makes no theological sense given the context, and it makes no textual sense given the literary composition of this section. It makes no sense whatsoever. And here's one more powerful reason what, why that reading makes no sense whatsoever. At the end of this section, in verse 11, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. According to Jesus, when he had just said to him, everything about the vine, you are in me, abide and burn and all those things. According to him, everything he just said was meant to bring joy. Not fear, not panic, not a sense of, oh, I better get my act together. Just joy, pure joy. So let us read the passage once again under this different framework of joy and everything we've seen. I'll read it again. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lives up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, he cuts 
so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, so there's nothing to fear. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I am him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone or anything, which is another possible translation, that does not abide in me is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Purified, perhaps. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Isn't that a completely different kind of reading? It's the same text, but it's read through the lens of love, which is usually, always, the key, God's love. All under this, under this other lens, the lens of love, under this reading, then it just fits. It fits, it makes sense that he would say, I am the vine, you are the branches, and if you do not bear fruit, I will lift you up. And if you do bear fruit, I'll make you bear even more. That sounds like Jesus to me. All you have to do, he says, is abide. Abide in me. That's the invitation. We were looking for it. That's the invitation, and it is loud and clear throughout the passage. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but the amount of times that the word abide shows up in this passage is staggering. If we were to highlight only those words, the passage would look like this. There are exactly 11 verses in this section, and the word shows up 10 times. 10 out of 11, that is a lot of times. That is a lot of times. And if that is to show us what Jesus' main point was, I don't know what else will. His invitation is to stay close to him and abide in him because without him, we can do nothing. And I used to be incredibly skeptical about that statement, that without him, we can do nothing. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up with any conscious awareness of God in my life or any type of relationship, at least a conscious relationship with God at all. And I could do a whole lot of things. <laughs> I could. I could play sports. I could go to school. I got straight A's. And I didn't need him. I thought. Until I fell ill. And I lay in bed for almost nine months, and I talked about this last time I was here with you, so I won't go into that. But I lay, I lay in bed for nine months without being able to move. I lost my health. I lost my freedom to move. I even lost my sight for long periods of time. And that's when I realized 
that's when I realized that my health was a gift from God. That my ability to play sports was a gift from God. To do well in school, that was a gift from God. And the fact that, that I even have a brain that works, that's a gift from God. And the Apostle Paul said it more elegantly in his letter to the Corinthians. He said to them, what do you have that God has not given to you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? You can look it up, 1 Corinthians 4. That's exactly how he said it. Everything we have is a gift from God. So yeah, we may take things for granted. We may don't want to acknowledge that all things that are good and all our capabilities and everything we do is because of God. We can act that way. But without God, we can't do nothing. That's the truth. And the flip side of that statement is that with God, we can do everything. Because nothing is impossible for God and we happen to be attached to him because he is the vine and we are the branches. And maybe all we needed to be reminded of today was to abide. And my question, there's always a question at the end of a sermon, right? What would that look like for you today to abide in God, to abide in the one who is with you, who is for you, who is near you? And I'm gonna give you a few seconds. And if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes. You don't have to. But I want you to imagine God just wrapping his arms around you. And just don't think of anything else. And even if it's for just five seconds, abide in there. When I take five seconds out of my day to just become aware of where I already am in his presence, everything changes. And so that, that I think is the invitation that it was, at least it was the invitation for me today to abide. And you know how at the beginning I showed you the summary of the titles of come and see, come and believe, come and follow. If I had it my way, if I was part of the preaching team here, and I could change, or just add one more title, even if it was just for this Sunday, what would it be? Come and abide. So you can add it if you want. <laughs> that to me is the main point of the message and the most loving invitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you reveal yourself to us through scriptures, through your spirit, through our relationships, but especially through passages that seem to be off, passages that we read and reinforce ideas that we have of you, that you are mean, that you're a judge that is evil, that you're just keeping tabs on us, and we know that that is not your heart. I thank you for this revelation today. I thank you that we have your spirit that guides us, that reveals all things to us, that reveals the truth to us. We celebrate that today on Pentecost Day. We ask you, God, to continue to guide us, to teach us how to stay in your presence, to abide. 
and to teach us and help us how to keep honoring you in all that we do, God. We love you so much, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just want to reiterate the question that Gabby left us with of what does it look like to abide truly in Christ? Even when we don't feel it, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't recognize that he's working, he still is. Let us remain in Christ as he remains in the Father. Right now, at the right hand of the creator of the universe, the creator God, where he sits and intercedes on our behalf. And so what does that look like for you this week to take five minutes? We took five seconds. What does five minutes look like to just simply be and imagine the Father wrapping his arms around us and just holding them because he does call us his kids, his sons and daughters, who he created, who he has chosen, and who he has called to simply be his kids. God, grace, may we go with you today as we leave this space. And just a reminder, we don't leave him here, but we take the presence of Jesus with us into our weeks, into our workplaces, into our schools, to our friend groups, into our athletics, our plays, our performances, whatever it may be. We take his presence with us as you leave this place. Have a great week. Hope to see you tomorrow night. And let us pray. And ladies, don't forget, Tuesday evening, cookies and crafts. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.